From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. Next week, Congress comes back to town, so today we're going to get a lesson in the concept of congressional time. And as you'll soon learn, it's not the same as the time you and I are experiencing right now. So the current session of Congress ends in early January, about six months from now, but Democrats are expecting to do poorly in the midterms this November, so any legislation they want needs to get passed before that because afterward they'll likely lose their political leverage. However, Congress will also be on recess for almost all of October in the lead up to the election, so their deadline looks less like November 8th and really more like the end of September. And oh, also don't forget that Congress is scheduled to go on recess for basically all of August. That means that if the Biden administration wants to enact any part of its ambitious Build Back Better plan and all of the tax provisions that that entails, it doesn't have much time left to do so. So today we're going to be talking about how the rest of the year, or at least the rest of the summer, will play out on Capitol Hill with two Hill reporters, Kaustu Basu and Zach Cohen. They spoke with Bloomberg tax editor Patrick Ambrosio about Democrats' plan to push through the agenda through a filibuster-proof mechanism called reconciliation, and about why that gives West Virginia's Joe Manchin, the most conservative Democrat in the Senate, such immense power. First, Zach started us off by talking about what's in and out of the Democrats' package, or rather, what's out and what's not out yet. So Senators uh, Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin have been engaged in periodic private meetings over the last couple of weeks and months to try to get some sort of agreement that all 50 Senate Democrats can get on board with. Manchin obviously being the most conservative member of the caucus, Chuck Schumer being the majority leader sort of represent the two sides of these negotiations and anything that they can sort of come to an agreement, we can probably assume that the rest of the the 50-member Democratic caucus is going to get behind. They're talking about something like a much smaller $1 trillion price tag for this overall bill, much smaller than the $3.5 trillion price tag that they were talking about earlier. And that's really because Manchin has repeatedly said he's concerned that too much government spending could actually exacerbate inflation. And so those are some of the dynamics we're watching. And, you know, to add one more thing, Manchin kind of pulled the plug on the expanded or the big Build Back Better bill in December. And for the three first three months uh, of this year, we'd hear him say that, you know, nothing's happening or we are not talking. And that has changed. And, you know, in the last six or seven weeks, you know, there's every indication that not only are they talking, they're kind of forming up elements of the bill that they can unveil. Uh, yeah, you kind of mentioned that, that the talks right now are focused on a much narrower piece of legislation than what passed the House last year. Um, at this point, what what policies can we safely consider to be, you know, completely out? Well, um, I can jump on that. Uh, so, you know, uh, last year, the expanded child tax credit, which, you know, had the IRS sending out monthly checks to families, um, that is most likely out uh, because uh, there's clearly no appetite for such an expensive item. Senators like Sherrod Brown, he had said that it will be as transformative as Social Security, but clearly there's no appetite right now. You know, there was talk early on, and especially in the House bill, about a corporate tax rate increase. Uh, that seems likely to be off the table because uh, of opposition from Senator Kristen Sinema. 
I will add that uh, when I was in Colorado last week, I got a chance to sit down with Senator Michael Bennett, who's a member of the Finance Committee and a big advocate for this expanded child tax credit. And he was obviously still pushing for it, arguing that it would actually really help the labor shortage by giving parents uh, greater access to child care um, and the kind of things that they need um, in order to raise their children, obviously. Uh, but he even he sort of recognized uh, that there were sort of it was going to be an uphill battle to include that, especially given Manchin's overall concern about the price tag and about inflation. All these policies that were on the table in, in the in the in the larger package, they all have their champions on the Hill. Um, you know, to get Manchin on board, they have to cut a lot of that. But with such a narrow House majority, um, does does removing some of these things risk the support of the progressive wing in the House or are they kind of on board with doing something that isn't everything they wanted? I think what I've kept hearing from House Democrats is they just want to hear what Joe Manchin supports and anything that he can get behind, they're probably going to be okay with. The fact that they've got this agreement on a drug um, pricing provision that's being submitted to the Senate parliamentarian, um, obviously something that's going to be much narrower uh, to accommodate lawmakers that are close to the pharmaceutical industry. And once they have them on board, it's not going to be quite as expansive as maybe some progressives would like, but it would still be a a rather significant proposal. As the election gets closer and closer and as the White House and congressional Democrats uh, looking to hold on to those majorities are looking for legislative wins that they can tout back home, it seems to me that they would want to take really whatever the conservative minority of the Democratic caucus would back. One thing I'll say, and uh, you know, given what was going on during the 2017 tax bill, the Republican tax bill, it's not over until it's over. So we can still expect some drama on the House side, you know, changes around the margins to bring people on board. Uh, but uh, clearly agreeing with you, Zach, here, like no one wants to go home for the August recess and not, and not have a bill to tout or have, a you know, something to tout. Um. You, you, you guys kind of mentioned that we have seen some movement recently in the healthcare space. Um, this prescription drug plan um, seems to be pretty fully baked at this point. Um, we're also an- another big issue there is is how to handle the uh, Obamacare subsidies. Um, with these two policies that are kind of broadly popular, how important are, are locking those down to an overall agreement, um, both both politically on the Hill and then kind of looking ahead to the midterms, having having some of those things that are broadly popular to run on? Yeah. And our, our colleagues over at Bloomberg News have also reported that they've also reached a deal um, and plan to submit to the parliamentarian legislation that would extend the solvency of Medicare, uh, essentially by closing a tax loophole uh, called uh, for pass through businesses, I think our, our listeners are probably familiar with. And so expect to see more information on that as that legislation comes out. And so these are only parts of the overall bill. There are obviously other tax provisions we're, we're seeing or we're looking to see if they have agreement on. There's a climate title that I think they'd like to get an agreement on. So there's a lot of uh, big hurdles to jump through still. Senator Manchin, his spokesperson said today that they're they're not really close to an overall agreement, but certainly they're making this progress. And getting the parliamentarian, Elizabeth McDonough, to actually sign off on some of these proposals is really critical because in order for a reconciliation bill to pass through the Senate, and remember this is important, and to get around a filibuster has to fit within really narrow budgetary rules um, and if the parliamentarian rules that they that they don't actually meet those requirements, they can't be included in this bill and would be subject to a filibuster in a different package. And you mentioned the 
the move to extend the uh, Affordable Care Act premium subsidies uh, briefly. And I think when we're talking about deadlines, that's one that's going to come up because right around October, those notices are going to go out to people who are on insurance plans that they got through, uh, you know, Obamacare exchanges, if you will. Um, and if voters right ahead of the midterms are being told their insurance payments are going to go up, that's going to be a bad look. And that's something I think actually uh, Congressman Ruben Gallego, who's been really pushing for this, has told me is something he's concerned about. Um, that being said, uh, Congressman Ami Berra told our colleague Alex Ruoff um, that this is not something that Manchin has opposed. It's something that um, people like Senator Raphael Warnock in a really like competitive political state that didn't expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act is something that he's pushing. So that is certainly something that we're watching as a potential um, addition to this reconciliation deal. Uh, on energy and climate, uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, the Supreme Court just uh, really restricted the federal government's uh, regulatory authority to address uh you know, greenhouse gas pollution. The House passed bill included just a, a slew of clean energy tax incentives that they were really looking at as a centerpiece of what the Biden administration could accomplish legislatively on climate change. Uh, Stu, where do things stand there? I know that Manchin had expressed some support for parts of those ideas, but then he also uh, was was opposed to to some of the other things that Democrats were looking to get done here, including, you know, a, a kind of uh, expanded EV tax credit that 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 uh, was also going to benefit automakers that have union covered workforces. Uh, where are we at in that space? So we have known for months that the energy piece of this legislation is something uh, Central Mansion has been talking about and could support. But again, it will look a lot different from the House passed version of the Build Back Better bill. Not only will it be smaller, there'll be entire provisions uh, that might be left out. And talking about the EV, the electric vehicle tax credit, uh, the House passed version had uh, a section of the credit going to union uh, uh, union manufactured cars. That definitely is out. But I have heard in the last month that there could be some credit set aside for American-made cars, and you know, and that would help manufacturers across the board from, you know, those in Michigan to those in the South. One issue that's lurked in the background of, of the reconciliation negotiations uh, dating back to last summer is, is what to do about the SALT cap, uh, the kind of $10,000 deduction cap uh, on your federal taxes for uh, state and local tax payments. This is a really big issue in New York, New Jersey, California, other high tax states where if you own a house, you're probably up against that cap. Uh, there's a block of Democrats that that have repeatedly said they're not going to support anything unless SALT's addressed somehow. Stu, how much of an obstacle is that really going to be to getting reconciliation done when it comes to it? Is this SALT caucus really going to hold their ground? So last year, House Democrats like Josh Gottheimer and Tom Suozzi, um, they had this phrase, uh, uh, no SALT, no dice, or no SALT, no deal. And they leaned really hard on the House leadership to kind of change the $10,000 cap, which they did in the House bill. Uh, and But like with the child tax credit, this is a very expensive provision. The option might be to just kind of back down here instead of just hold up this one achievement by the Biden administration. You know, it remains to be seen. But like I said, there might be changes around the margins. And uh, this is one thing I expect uh, these House members to bring up in the next few weeks. Kind of mo moving over to the other side of the aisle, um, 
Mitch McConnell, the top Republican in the Senate, he recently uh, threatened another big Biden administration priority, uh, bipartisan uh, legislation to improve our competitiveness with China. It's, you know, kind of a big priority to onshore more uh, onshore more manufacturing, help su- with supply chain issues that we've seen over the past several years that have affected various uh, industries. Uh, McConnell said that if Democrats go down the road on reconciliation and, and try to pass something, um, Republicans aren't going to support this chips bill. How real do we consider that threat? And if Schumer is able to get Manchin on board with some sort of a economic package that he can support, can Republicans really do anything to stop it? Yeah, that's really the $52 billion question at this point. Um, uh, As you said, McConnell said, you know, there will be no bipartisan deal on this China competition bill. It has a couple of different names, right? The Innovation and Competition Act, the America Competes Act, the Endless Frontiers Act. It's gone through a bunch of different rebrands over the last uh, year or so that Congress has been talking about this bill. Uh, but it's something that a, a broad portion of his of his conference would like to see passed. People like Senator John Cornyn, um, who's been pushing for this chips money for years. Um, Senator Mike Crapo, who's the top Republican on the Finance Committee, wants to see some tax credits uh, that would also help these semiconductor manufacturers. Um, and so there's a lot of riding on this bill. Some of it could be put into the reconciliation package. That might be one way that Democrats might be looking at trying to get some of these provisions across the finish line and sort of sideline Republicans in the process. There are a couple other options. You know, Schumer could opt to basically dare McConnell and Republicans to filibuster this bill and basically call his bluff. That might be one option that they go through if they pass a reconciliation bill and then turn to this China competition bill, which has been a major priority for Schumer for for decades, basically as long as he's been in Congress. And then the other option is the, the Senate passed the Innovation and Competition Act um, all the way last year, over a year ago at this point. And the House could opt to just take up that Senate bill and pass it without any changes. Now, there are some House Democrats that uh, wouldn't like that. There were a lot of changes that they would like to see made to it. But if they see basically the option between no bill and a Senate bill, they might opt to go with the latter. Okay. Uh, let's talk timing. Uh, you know, we're, we're it's it's early July. It's only halfway through 2022. But when you look at the calendar, there's not really a lot of time for Democrats to get through this reconciliation package before the midterms. Um, do they really need to wrap this up before they leave for the August recess? Or if they have a framework of a deal, is it something that they could revisit when they come back in September and still kind of get something done that they can run on in the run up to the midterms? The drop dead deadline really is the end of September, the end of the fiscal year. Uh, recall that that's also around the time where Congress needs to either pass another uh, annual government funding bill or at least a stopgap continuing resolution. So there's going to be a bit of a time crunch there. But I think lawmakers really do see the August recess, uh, which starts in early August and, and lasts through Labor Day, as really the deadline to get not just reconciliation, but a bunch of other things passed. As it gets closer and closer to the election, it's going to be harder and harder for lawmakers to take tougher votes because it's going to be top of mind for voters. And lawmakers are going to be more interested in scoring political points and trying to use leverage to try to gain majorities or grow the majorities of your Democrats um, after the elections in hopes of getting a better deal either in the lame duck or in the new Congress. And so as time goes on, the closer we get to the election, the harder it is to get to a deal. And so that's why the August recess is sort of seen as a really important deadline. I'd like to make two points here. One is that if you have a framework and you leave it open, there is ample time for lobbyists and others to try and influence that. 
So some Democratic senators told me uh, earlier this month that they they just want to get it done, including Senate Finance Chairman Ron Wyden. But as we all know, Congress works best when there's a hard deadline. And Manchin has mentioned several times that September September 30th is the real deadline. Those are reporters Kaustuv Basu and Zach Cohen speaking with Limerick Tax Editor Patrick Ambrosio. You can find up-to-the-minute news and latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz, Patrick Ambrosio, and Jeff Harrington, our editors. Our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. In a global tax landscape that changes by the day, it's what you don't know that can leave you exposed. At Bloomberg Tax, we provide market-leading intelligence and practical applications to help tax professionals work smarter, faster, and more accurately. Our solutions provide the insights you need for game-changing outcomes. To revolutionize your performance in real time, the difference is Bloomberg Tax. Learn more at pro.bloombergtax.com.